So there's a lot of talk these days about our personal brand and whether or not that's even a real thing or just some hipster-defined attribute of who we are as people. But I think there's some credence to it as we start talking about things like influencer marketing and the rising nature of social media stars and even our own brand as we have within our company or industry. And of course, many might argue that last bit the most, but I'd argue it's actually really important as we just simply try and navigate our jobs or our family or, you know, life. These days, we absolutely create and design ways we want to be perceived, intentionally or unintentionally. You think about what you post on Facebook or Instagram. If you were to believe the social media feed, all we do is take amazing vacations, sit in awe of our children, drink a lot of great wine, eat food that looks like it came from a TV commercial, and complain about politicians. So sure, what is our personal brand? But then there's our image, and I think this is often forgotten, but just as important, and there's a difference. When we think of brand identity, we think of designed. McDonald's is golden arches and fast and convenient and family-oriented. That's part of their brand. But then there's our image. For McDonald's, it might be unhealthy or awesome fries or obesity. See, image shifts, it flows, it differs, and most importantly, it differs even within ourselves. It's something we often don't design or even think about our own self-image. It can be completely contrary to the brand identity we've designed for the world. A mentor of mine used to say that our image is like the banks of a river. One side is the negative and the other is the positive. They have to widen and change when it's time for us to shine and be bigger and create a bigger flow. If they're in imbalance, either negatively or positively, things get weird and usually go bad. Misunderstand and outweigh the negative and we struggle. Even when we're successful, we struggle with our own self-worth and that in itself impedes our success. What happens when you outweigh the positive? Well, if you outweigh the positive, you might just find yourself the front runner for president of the United States. Anyway, that's the theme of our show today. Image. The image we have of ourselves and the image we have of others. When we change and design what we truly believe about ourselves or our brand or our team or, we know, life, changing an image that is holding us back or keeping us down is the only way that any personal brand you design will ultimately have the desired effect you want it to have. As Steve Jobs once said, when you look at all the amazing things in this thing called life, just remember, none of these things were invented by people any smarter than you. Yep, it's our own self-image that sets the boundaries for what we can accomplish. Let's just make sure we keep them balanced so the river flows well. And with that, let's jump into the river of this show. You ready for the ride? Let's roll. your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR, with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 131 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Saturday, May 14th, 2016. And with me is always my friend, my co-host, my colleague, and the most, and the spitting image of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. It's, yeah. You know, you say the 131. It's hard to believe. It is hard to believe. really done that, 131. It's really, really difficult to believe that we're still doing this 131 weeks later. We haven't killed each other. We've recorded yeah. on literally every day of the week. 
at some point because of our You think schedules. that's true? I wonder if we've ever recorded on a Wednesday. Um, I'm pretty sure we recorded on a Wednesday recently, actually, but I don't think we've recorded on a Thursday. So you know okay. what? We should right. do that. <laughs> just just everybody's it off bored the, out of the Just to cross it off the bucket list. <laughs> oh, before we get it, I got an announcement to make, but before we go on, how was your Sundance spa treatment? You had your annual brain yoga. Yeah. Well, look, it's it's the kind of thing that I could not recommend more uh, thoroughly. I mean, it is, you know. So give a little update for people because they don't know what you do. Okay. Well, so so here it is. So the 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 heart of it is really the thing that I you know I call it the ten percent time, right? Where you just spend ten percent of your time sort of creating, thinking, and working on big things projects in your head without sort of um a a goal of output right you're just trying to get to something new and creative and innovative and find inspiration and so every year i'm lucky enough to get invited to this thing up in sundance utah by this company that has been inviting me for the last 10 years um and i've been going every year religiously to this thing and so uh but it's not it has nothing to do with religion um it is all about these this company that gets together, it's kind of like a Davos or a, uh, uh, you know, there, there's a few of these things around where you get together just really different people, right? So it's primarily financial people, economists, investors, hedge fund managers, those kinds of things. That's the sort of core audience. And then around that, they've got like artists and poets and um, guys like me who theoretically know a little something about technology and, and marketing and that sort of thing and you bring them all together and you mix them up into the this sort of place where cell phones don't work and there's no internet connection and you just start talking about things and you start talking about world change and disruption and all these things going on and just fascinating things come out and they bring in a couple of speakers to talk but they're really just there to spur conversation and you do that for three days and it's just an amazing experience that I couldn't recommend any any higher. It's like a you know, it's like a giant mastermind group. Really, it's just really great. So so let me get this straight. You meet face to face. I didn't know people still did that. Uh, it's it's not only face to face, but there are no electronics allowed. Oh, right? My I goodness. mean, you know, it's maybe if you someday, don't, maybe someday, perhaps I'll be on the list and and I could go and enjoy that with you. But oh, I'm not even kidding. If you want to go, I would. I would. You would. You would. You. Uh, you're there in a I second. I don't think I would make the yeah. cut. I don't think so. Oh, of course you I, would. You're 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 the, the Godfather. You're the Joe Polizzi. Come on now. <laughs> it would never happen. Okay, before we get to the news, yeah, I just got clearance from the clearance clearance. Marketing I just Institute got clearance clearance marketing team, and I can finally announce. And you know this, but I'm super excited. Oh, to my, gosh, oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! You're going to announce it. Oh my god! It's for amazing. Content Marketing World 2016 is going to be none other than Mr. Mark Hamill. Whee! I am. I know, Luke Skywalker Screaming like a little schoolgirl. Yes. We're super excited. Uh, oh, it's and, amazing. Or possibly Luke Skywalker you, is coming to Content Marketing right. World. Or, or possibly you know you know Mark Hamill from Corvette Summer, which I thought was fantastic. <laughs> or <laughs> the voice thing the is, Joker I've seen that are, movie. Are many many other things. So we're going to be doing Corvette a little Q and A at Content Marketing World, and, uh, and and I think it's well, it fits our theme this year as Content Strikes Back. So yeah, exactly. Of course, it's we're going just... science fiction fits in we're, we're super excited 
It is fantastic. There All we right. go. So that's the announcement. If you want that's to come Content huge. Marketing World, oh, early bird rates are done in May. And if you want an extra $100 discount, use PNR, all caps, PNR, get you $100. All right. That's all it. Right. That's all I got. Okay. Well, shall we to the news Let's then? Let's do it. Yeah. We shall. All right. Let's get this show started here. And it starts out with an in, uh, an article that comes to us courtesy of businessinsider.com. And there's actually two articles here. And I just read the second one today because it just came out on Friday. The one we're going to point to um, in the uh, show notes is the first of the two that appeared this week, which is an interview with Sir John Hegarty on the perils of content marketing, or so says the headline. It's a little bit of a link bait headline, I've got to say. But the article opens up by saying Sir John Hegarty is a British advertising veteran, having joined the industry in the 1960s and helping build brands such as Levi's and Audi with ads placed on what are now thought of as traditional media that are still instantly recognizable decades on. Almost everyone thinks they could be easily an advertising creative, but very few can actually handle the successful career out of it. Hegarty has a poster on his wall at Bartle Bogle Hegarty BBH, the London-based agency that he co-founded in 1982, with his own quote emblazoned on it that says, advertising is 80% idea and 80% execution. The article then goes on to interview Sir John um, about his thoughts on the current state of advertising content, digital content, social media, etc., um, I definitely have a take on this, my friend, but I wanted to get your take first. What did you What did you think of this uh, interview with Sir John, other than the fact that he didn't address me by Sir Robert, which is uh, a little bothersome um, yeah, to exactly, me. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, <laughs> well, first of all, what's the 80% idea, 80% execution? Is that a famous thing? It is I, not. It yeah. is not. I, there, I, I mean, I look, with like, all due respect, there are some things that he brings out as sort of iconic that I'm going... Man, those are good, but they're not. I mean, I've heard the quote before, but it's, What's it's like eighty yeah. percent idea, twenty percent malt liquor. I'm mean, like, what are we talking about here? I don't know. I, I can't. <laughs> Anyways, um, you're right. This is a link baity headline, and of course, how, how could Business Insider do such a thing? I've never I seen sh- anything like this. There's on, gambling going on at Business Insider. Yeah. So, so basically, goes through the whole thing about how important advertising is, and and. The two things that ran through my mind are, first of all, you're talking about two different things. Advertising, the goals and objectives of advertising are generally very different than the goals that you would have with a content marketing program. That's one thing. Two, nobody in this article is talking about content marketing. Because as they go on, they they go right from, oh, spend on content marketing is set to soar 186% according to the uh, research we talked about last week, and that was native advertising. That was not content marketing. So totally different with that. And then they go on to talk about Oreos dunking the dark Super Bowl. It's like, oh, yeah, well, that that did well. And then, of course, uh, Haggerty says, well, that's, you know, a piece of whatever. And... What does the? I, I'm just. I was so confused by this article that uh, it was. It's almost not even worthy to talk about. I. I just need to make sure that everybody really realizes that who care. Who cares? Who cares? Right. It, yeah, exactly. Who cares? Well, and then the well, the other thing is, is that advertising in its day. So he's really we're talking about the. 70s and 80s is what kind of the heyday of of Hegarty, which is great, and he's a master at it. But that was in the days there were less than eight channels that consumers could get their information. Advertising worked really, really, really well. And you did a lot of advertising because it worked. Well, now there are thousands of channels for you to get your information. It doesn't work as well. And you can't get those, 
you know, iconic, iconic advertising programs to work anymore because of that fact. So I think that's we're just right. in a different state of being, and, and I don't think it works as well anymore. So that's right. Know. Yeah, that's right. That well, and that's that's exactly the same conclusion I came to, which is you know, there's there's so look, there's a couple of challenges I had with this, which the 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 thing that's getting sort of the you know the spread or the virality on this on on this article is, you know, his his poo-pooing of the Oreo dunk in the dark and, and poo-pooing of content sort of more broadly. Because yeah. as he says, as he says, look, he says his quote, which, you know, it's hard to know how much of this was actually in context because the interview sort of goes back and forth between the interviewer sort of commenting on his comments and then his actual comments. So it's a little, it's a little tough to, to, to see what he actually meant and said here. But he does actually say about content, he says, look, Nobody has created anything in the last 10 years to the extent that you would remember it as the slogans and sort of things that we created back in the day. And he, he, he and then the interviewer then suggests the, the thing that I'd never heard of either, some BuzzFeed article about puppies or something. It's like, yeah. you know, and he's like, yeah, exactly. Who's ever heard of that? You know, that's doesn't, you know, oh, and then they bring up the Oreo and the Dunk in the Dark thing. And so first of all, he's, he's, he's wrong on that. Um, because, you know, look, I'm not even trying here, but there's the Old Spice guy. Hello, ladies. Right. Get a Mac with the John Hodgman. Remember the John Hodgman oh, yeah. campaign? Of course, that's less than 10 years ago. Dos Equis, the most interesting man in the world. We just talked about that two weeks ago. An amazing stay thirsty, my friend. Campaign for real beauty. For I'm not even trying here and I'm coming up with stuff that people can fill in the blanks on. Now, to your point. Let's assume that that's true, right? Let's assume that it's actually true that that there isn't anything as iconic as what's going on in the last 10 years. My question back is like, look, there's two possibilities for that. One is, is that there's nobody as genius as him that can come up with really memorable stuff. Or two, that the world has changed. I'm going to go with the latter, that the world has changed. The multi-channel audience fragmentation across multiple channels means that doing what he used to do in the 70s and 80s is not only harder, it's different. And it's and the evolution of this is just something that you have to deal with. Because I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna just go out on a limb to say that there are people as creative as this guy in the world working for wonderful agencies that are trying every single day to do memorable things. And so I think the idea of Logan's and, or slogans and catchy songs as a means of iconic cultural reference may be over for the most part. It may be that we have to start creating interesting content that's memorable and that's memorable in a way that in the context of a larger narrative that's not so slogany and not so catchwordy and where's the beef is in a different in the world we now live in. That that might be a possibility that we need to consider. Well, it's interesting. I agree with you, but the way that I took that line when he says, can anyone tell me in the last 10 years a piece of content that people remember and can quote back? I didn't think of it like from an advertising piece of content. I, I was thinking of it or, or a more, or a digital content campaign. I was thinking of it more like a media company. Like if I have a relationship with Wired Magazine or um, Inc. or Fast Company, it's not because of one piece of content. It's because they consistently deliver a great experience over time. 
that's that's what I'm looking at. That's where I think the opportunity is, and not just in the one. I don't know if you took it that way. Well, that's I, the way. I, I well, did. Like, I was what I was doing was trying to level set him against yeah. the native ads and the branded content that was being used as sort of equating the growth of content marketing that they talk about in the beginning of the article. I mean, if we look at it purely from you know one of the knocks on the Oreo dunk in the dark thing in the article. Now, now Sir John doesn't actually say this. This is actually said by the interviewer who says. They actually ran the numbers, and they found that when you actually ran the real numbers, the Oreo dunk in the dark only reached 150,000 people, or about 1% of their target market. And so they say, that's a failure when you, can, you know, when you compare it to something, some ad that ran on TV that reached a much higher number. And I'm like, yeah, yeah but wait a minute. They didn't pay for Doria Oreo Dunk in the Dark. They didn't actually have to pay a million dollars for the production of a, cust- a, cu- a commercial and the hundreds of millions of dollars to get it into the zeitgeist of the American public. It just happened. Just happened. And so if somebody said to me, you can pay a million dollars plus a hundred million dollars of media buy to get your zeitgeisty, slogany thing into the mindset of Americans or... I'll give you a choice. For free, you can reach 1% of your market and you have to create something interesting and cool and it might be it might be a big fail and it might not. I, I think I might at least try the 1% thing. Well, and, and the fact that initially it probably reached 150,000 people and then after that oh, it reached well, millions because it yeah, was talked yeah, about yeah, forever. Exactly. But the thing that I had a problem with was right after they talk about that in the article, he says, I don't get out of bed for less than a million people. Right. That's what I, and that's, that's what the wrong they, right. way to think. Right. I, exactly. I mean, this is, that's very, very big advertising program. And that's what we're trying to get people not to think about. It's not right. about exactly. how many, it's about who. Right. So I don't know. I mean, this, maybe this is just a different time. I, I mean, you worked in advertising more than I did. I, I've just, I've just never gotten this mentality before of the, the big advertising programs as this is the way that yeah. we need to market today. Yeah, and that's that's I'm, the kind of way I took the article. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, look, I think, you know, I, and again, I want to be clear, it's hard to tell in this article how much of this is the interview sort of placing a layer of yeah, context exactly. over this. Yeah. You know, Sir John Haggerty could have literally been talking about why you need to create memorable things. I mean, if you pulled out all of his quotes there and sort of applied it against a question of should we be, you know, what kind of content should we be creating? And, and he really what he's talking about is creating memorable content that that people can come back to. And I don't disagree with that at all. I think no. that's an amazing thing. And so it perhaps might be the context in which this article is being is being. Well, I think at the end, he talks about basically taking a risk with your content with your, exactly. And I that, totally agree with that. Absolutely. So. You could be right. He probably he's probably looking at this article saying, "What happened? What I didn't hell? say any of this stuff. Any of that making stuff. me look like an idiot." <laughs> exactly. <So>. Anyways, <laughs> all right. Well, let's move along, shall we? Oh, yeah, um, and go to our second uh, uh, article of the show. And this one comes to we're going to pair a couple of articles here together. The first comes to us courtesy of Digiday, um, and it is uh, it's a it's a bit of a continuation of what we were talking about last week. It is confessions of a social media executive um, on the idea of paying influencers. And we're going to pair it with this announcement that came from uh, YouTube uh, last week with, uh, and this is from Bloomberg.com, where YouTube is said to be planning an unplugged online TV service for 2017. 
So the first one from Digiday starts out by saying, you know, influencer. And by the way, influencer is going to be the new ding, ding, ding native ad. I'm just from from we're going to be 20 shows from now. People are going to be doing drinking games to influencer marketing. I guarantee it. If native advertising was the term for 15, which I believe it was. It's all about 16 is influencer marketing. Influencer marketing. So the article opens up by saying it's the biggest buzzword of the moment. And an entire ecosystem has evolved around these social media stars. But there are cracks in the foundation, says the article. The relationship between brands, agencies, and influencers is starting to get rocky. In this edition of Confessions, a social media executive lays out how this relationship soured. He then goes on to the article, starts to talk about how most of the brands paid these social media stars way too much, way too early, and they're not getting the return. And we covered a bit of this uh, last week in an article that talked about how this was starting to become a bit of a fatigued uh, audience here, these brands that are not getting the return on these. And we talked about how it's a relationship and we need to start thinking about it in that uh, in that way. Um, and just to tee up this uh, sort of the, the, the YouTube saying that I want to totally get your take on this, Joe. The YouTube article starts out by saying YouTube is working on a paid subscription service. It's called Unplugged that are going to offer customers a bundle of cable TV channels streamed over the internet. Um, and the project for which YouTube has already overhauled this technical architecture is one of the online video giant's biggest priorities and is slated to debut as soon as 2017. So putting these two things together, it really feels like there's sort of two things going on here. One is this YouTube star, YouTube, sort of the the PewDiePies of the world, sort of getting the attention from brands and brands going, yeah, it's not all that it was cracked up to be. But then we've got YouTube saying, you know what, we're going to create an entire network and we're going to create a TV network. What did you think about this? Well, I think a couple of things. First of all, what I took out of the Digiday Influencer article is that you have to, when you when you work out a deal with an influencer, you have to separate creation and distribution. Right. Which is absolutely. super important. And I think that it seemed like in the past that was just like, oh, hey, what do I get for $300,000? Which blows my mind, but let's just leave it there. Uh, <laughs> so so if you have a deal with an influencer, you're working on a program, we really have to be specific with what the process and the measurables are going to be, be behind what we want them to create if there's some kind of co-creation going on. And that's one part of the deal. And then the second part of the deal is – how are you going to help me distribute it? Sometimes those are those work really, really closely together, kind of like right. Uh, SNL, right? SNL yeah, does their thing, exactly. and they've got. But there are different parts to it: the creation with the team, and then the distribution. So that's the one thing. And I did like the fact uh, where the sort of this is a Q and A article in Digiday where they go back and forth and say that followers really mean nothing, and I love, yeah. and they don't, they don't mean anything anymore. And I think that you really have to focus on uh, how important the relationships that those people have, and and it kind of goes through that. So that was interesting. I I like the article because it was just kind of yeah. snarky. I, yeah, it was. It was <laughs> yeah, no, it was really good. No, I, I I really liked it. I really liked it as well because it sort of pulls starts to pull back the covers on this idea of that it's not just you know, and we, and we talked about this last week. It's not just throwing a bunch of money at a spokesperson. And saying, go do a campaign for us. Yeah. You know, if you're going to make this work, you've got to create value. And that's, you know, I was happy. So speaking of Sundance, which is where the this article sort of was brought to my attention, quite frankly, 
we were talking about this. There was an expert there. Um, she's a, a wonderful sort of lead researcher for one of the biggest research companies. Um, and specifically, she studies uh, young people, millennials. She studies their sort of habits and what they're doing and what they're thinking. And she's an expert in it. And she was talking about this idea, you know, that today, yes, it's true that they're that, you know, young people are watching YouTube more than ever. They're they're looking at those people as sort of the people that they're, you know, sort of looking up to in a way, you know, the same way we looked up to music stars and actors and movie stars. They're doing the same thing with with these YouTube stars and influencers. But that can that relationship is tenuous, and if they and if somebody screws up and somebody doesn't you know do things in the right way, boy, do they pay the penalty for that? And so it's so the smart ones, the smart influencers, are actually managing that relationship with their audiences very, very carefully. And so those that are there's going to be a you know there there's there will be a curve here of those who are really skilled at it and can create relationships with brands and really make something happen and those that are going to just flame out because they take the money and sell out and the audience the young people they're smart they know what's going on and and they and they'll sniff this stuff out really really quickly and that money will be worse than TV advertising because you'll not only create no attention, you'll create the wrong kind of attention. Oh, so I just had a conversation with my my youngest son about uh, when his some of his YouTube gamers that he follows, where they take some money from, and he said in this case it was one of Disney's games. I don't know which one it was, but he said you could tell that they were getting paid for that by the way they were acting. And I'm like... Really? They were like doing sponsored video games on the whole thing? I said, yeah. It's like, I get, I was like, so, you know, of course, I, we talk about content marketing at the dinner table all the time. So it just, <laughs> no, no. It just absolutely <laughs> happens. But I'm going to introduce some new topics for you guys. Well, it, it, it was amazing. So two <laughs> days ago, I took the kids to um, a concert. It was, it was amazing, Phil, and Dan is not on fire. <laughs> so there's two, these two YouTubers from the UK. See, I have no idea who that is. I mean, I, I think didn't that's know either. Awesome. I had no, I have no idea. So basically, yeah, the two kids from UK that met in university there, and right. they started collab. They all both had their own audiences, and then they started collaborating together, and they created Amazing Phil and, and Dan is Not on Fire kind of together. So they have their own channels, but Great they come title. together, yeah, and they come together to co-create. And then the first I heard about them is when uh, I think it was my, I think it was Adam bought the book. It was called the Amazing. This amazing book is not on fire. Is what the book was called, and it was about them Another and their life title. and all that. That's awesome, isn't that something? And so that the, the book did really, really well. And so here's these two kids from the UK. They have a concert in Akron, Ohio. This is at EJ Thomas Hall, four thousand people, and I, this thing was sold out. There's like three thousand of them were were screaming teenage awesome. girls that were going. It was un, and by the way, they were really good. Like I didn't get half of the stuff because I I don't watch them on YouTube, right, right. but the kids got it. Everybody was laughing. It was very, very entertaining. They did about an hour and 40 minutes of slapstick kind of humor, very integrated with technology, the show. But I'm looking at that and I'm like, oh my gosh, this, first of all, they really know their audience because as they were doing, <laughs> as we were waiting, so we were waiting there for 30 minutes in the seats and every song that they would play, the cheers got louder. They were popular songs and I didn't know most of them, but they were all, everybody was singing along to them and it was great. And then when they came out on stage, you couldn't even hear anything. So it's wow. just amazing that, that 
this can be done today, actually, and how hard it is for brands to do this because they're very uh, difficult at being authentic. Like these two kids are just very authentic, very much themselves. And they, those two, from what I know about them, are very particular about who they partner with. So as a brand, when you go in and you pitch an influencer on it, you have to have very specific idea of what you want them to do and create and the audience you're trying to reach with that. It's exactly so. right. I mean, it's and, and that, I mean, it's not, you know, it speaks to the theme of the show with this idea of image and what image are we projecting, which is a little different than brand because you sort of have the optics of what you're doing on a, on a day-to-day basis. And, and, and that is so important these days because it's not just you know, the brand of what these kids do, but it's also how they appear and how, you know, what it is that they're doing. And as they get bigger and bigger and bigger, it becomes harder and harder and harder to, to sort of control that and manage it because the enticements just get bigger and bigger. And it's one of those things where it's going to be really interesting to me to see if somebody like the two kids you just talked about, do they sort of stay at that level because they maintain an image of, you know, authenticity and where, you know, it's a very sort of specialized niche sort of focus or can you do that and be as big as a Beyonce, right? Can you do that thing and become Beyonce? And I think it's, I, I think it's a really interesting question. It, it's amazing. The, the only thing that I had on the other thing, and I don't know how much you want to talk about the YouTube thing, but when I read that article about YouTube basically creating their own cable type service, you know, direct TV, they call them skinny bundles and putting yeah. it together. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, I immediately thought of you always saying that television is not a device. Right. And that's, you know, this is going to get really interesting with YouTube going in. And and really, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it almost seems like they're creating smaller packages, much like DirecTV and Dish and Cable are doing right now, correct? It 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 very much looks that way. It very, very much looks that way. And I have to tell you, you know, so if I had more faith, and this is going to come off as snarky, but so I apologize, but... The, if 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 I had more faith in Google's ability to market itself, and and you know and to really create an amazing sort of marketing campaign to blow this out, I think this launch could be the equivalent of. Do you remember when MTV launched? And absolutely, we. Yeah. I mean, I ran home from school on the day that it launched to go watch the the, the Moon Man plant that flag and become the alternative network for me as a kid. You know, as a as a I think it was fifteen years old when that thing launched, and that I mean it it was my network. It was it was a network programmed for me. Now, of course, it's 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 long lost that. Sort of um, changed a bit. Yeah, it's, it's changed, changed. A little and we've bit. we've changed a bit too. And well, there's no doubt. But you know, I think this could be that kind of that. You know, it's one is it surprised me that they haven't done it yet. And yeah. but if they can do this right and they can execute this well, I think if this is huge for um, for for as a com- as a competition to all of the other networks that are out there um, competing for audience because they can I would bring get a it. lot I would, of stuff here. Well, right now. Um, I would like to have ESPN. I would like to have a package. I, right now, we get we don't have cable or DirecTV or anything. But I would pay for a particular package, sports package, that I could get. When we have everybody over, watching the sports game, playoffs, whatever the case is. You can't do that right now. Like, I can't just buy ESPN for, through Apple TV. That's I right. can't do it. This looks like, and even in the article, 
uh, Bob Iger says that ESPN would have to be in the sports package. Like this would be a thing. So right. I mean, I'm ex- I hope it happens. I'm excited because I'm I'm. Well, you combine that. You there. combine that kind of programming with something like you know a- adding the stuff that they're doing with Red and all of the YouTube stars that we just talked about. Well, now you have something that's really interesting, right? You've got a, a, a you know you've got a network really designed for the younger generation that can show you all of the programming that you want and need, including, by the way, things that may not be immediately you know sort of you know associated with the younger generation, like network news or like an ESPN or something yep. like that. But if you add those things for the parents who may want to have this, you know, in their home and you add this, you know, you add the element of red and the YouTube stars and the ability to have those kinds of shows immediately available as a service on not only your mobile device, but the thing that hangs on your wall that you call a TV right now. I think it's incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful. It's, it could be, be, yeah, really we could be talking three years from now that, that, that this has, uh, overtaken a good chunk of the market share of, of cable and direct and even Netflix. Yeah, and exactly right. Because I mean, it is Netflix, the OTT, by the way. Right? It I, I is the over the top. I think Netflix with Netflix is going to see a whole heck of a lot of competition. Yes, real quickly, I and mean, they already see an Amazon. Now you're going to get Google into the loop here. Yeah, it's going to get crazy. So it's going to get it's going to get cray cray up in did, here. Did you want to chat about say. the Facebook thing, <clears throat> the the Facebook news, or are you you skipping over that one? Oh, the Facebook news is exactly right. I'm sorry, I did skip that. That's all right. Yes, let's, no, let's go. It's let's not like we program it. any of this. It's not like I had it prepared <laughs> to talk about Facebook second. I'm just, I'm just asking. Yes, let's <laughs> let's definitely talk about Facebook here um, because we don't talk about Facebook we don't. enough, um, really. Okay, so this is our last uh, our, our last uh, article for the show, and it comes to us courtesy of The Guardian. Um, and the headline is, Facebook news selection is in the hands of editors, not algorithms. And this may have been the biggest news story, but certainly mainstream news story of the week here. Um, and... You know, the article starts out by saying, look, it is leaked documents are showing that Facebook, now the biggest news distributor on the planet, not quite sure about that, but all right, relies on old-fashioned news values on top of its algorithms to determine what the hottest stories will be for the one billion people who visit the social network every day. The documents given to The Guardian come amid growing concerns over how Facebook decides what is news for its users. This week, the company was accused of an editorial bias against conservative news organizations, prompting calls for a congressional inquiry from the U.S. Senate Commerce Committee Chair John Thune. Um... I definitely have a take on this, but all right, since since you brought it up, what do you got? I didn't understand the whole congressional inquiry thing. Like, why, why when we have Fox News and MSNBC and we know that news organizations lean left and right and they're not unbiased, why, why does Facebook, a private company, have to be, well, public-private company, why do, why do they have to uh, make sure that they're Related news and the trending news does not have editors fine tuning it for the things that Facebook wants to talk right. about. Like I, that, I didn't that, think that it was. I I totally got that they would. Like it would. would yeah, it would be a I'm surprised to me. that it's not right. I'm surprised that everybody's surprised. Right. <laughs> what know? is? Yeah. What is this? Are you kidding me? Oh my gosh! They actually don't show certain stories and show other ones. <gasps> exactly. Who's ever done that? I can't, I can't imagine. I can't. Believe well, I mean, it. That's that was my question too. It's like, what is exact? What is it exactly that they're inquiring 
I, I, you know, when did Facebook come out and say, we're going to be the Washington Post and New York Times and unbiased journalism of, but even then, even then, bias at the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. But even then, see, now the whole story talks about, it starts with the idea of, no, uh, Facebook should use AI, you know, basically computer algorithms to show what's trending and what's not. Well, they couldn't do that because certain things happen, and they right. t- they use the Ferguson, Missouri issue in users' feeds that were just dominating everybody's users' feeds, and That's a lot right. of people don't want to see that. So they started to get into uh, editors, and they actually, it's a great style guide in here. Actually, I was going through their style guide and how they do that, and how it's important to inject an editor. So if an editor and human people go in and they just start to decide what's going to be best for their audience, that's really the same thing that all media companies do. We decide what we think is going to be the best for their audience. And of course now they're getting, and in many ways they're guessing, right? Because they're looking, they're trying to say what's going to be popular, not necessarily what is, because if you're talking about trending, you want to be able to recognize what's right. What will, what will rise and in many cases, you really need to look at because it may be a big story that nobody's talking about yet. And if it's a big story from a human, you know, from a human perspective that nobody's talking about yet, manually sticking it into a featured or trending slot immediately makes it more popular, thus feeds into that idea and thus makes it more popular by the algorithm. So it's it's you know, it, you have to if if you're gonna have any sort of curated trending feed it almost assuredly has to be some mix of human and algorithm sort of created. But if you were, by the way, if if anyone listening to this is like so into real-time marketing, uh, or as David Meerman Scott calls it, newsjacking, there's just a great report here from, from how Facebook does this. Because they talk about, okay, is it really news? Is it not news? How do you tell if it's news or not? And it kind of goes through the whole process of it. And I was fascinated. It's uh, it is a fascinating it is a fascinating piece of content, right? Just just that, just that for that alone, it's for the, it's a great takeaway for marketers to start to look at how do you start to identify what's going to be you know what is news and how you know and how it might affect you know what it is you're trying to do. But it, I, I have a question for you. Actually, you said that you don't think most people get their news from Facebook. If, the, if I don't not think they Facebook, do. When where? was the last time you clicked on a trending article in Facebook? I don't click on trending articles. I don't even look at trending articles. But that's what everybody's in a tussle about. I know. I didn't even, I I mean, I, now I know after reading this article that it's there, but I never really looked at it. But I get a lot of my news from people like you that say, uh, Prince passed away. (laughs) I think that's how I actually found out about it. That's exactly it. Well, that's exactly it. You know, so, I mean, we talked about this on a, on a show a couple of shows ago where I, you know, I have my, my news consumption habit has changed and I don't much like watching the news or listening to the news anymore because it's not really news. I mean, I was, I was, my wife and I were talking about this this morning as we were watching CNN, as we were having our coffee and in the background, it's not news. Today's news is ostensibly three or four or eight talking heads talking about their opinions of the news. And that's what sort of substitute is the news anymore. It's no longer the facts and what happened. It's actually, what do you think about what happened? And so, and ultimately that's, you know, just repetitive and repetitive and repetitive. So the way I sort of look at it, and I said this uh, uh, last week or whenever it was, I said, look, if I, if this, if it's important, it finds me. 
If it's, you know, if I yeah. need to know about it, then it finds me. And that's inevitably true because I check Facebook and like you, I, you know, I see you have posted something on LinkedIn. It might be a business thing or on Facebook, it might be a news thing or somebody passed away or something that I need to understand, but I get it from my friends. Those are those that's the, so that's not what we're talking about here. This is not the algorithm sort of optimizing our friends feed to 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 quell conservative speech or to, you know, to quell any speech. And trust me, in my Facebook feed, that's, you know, there's enough of that, you know, all the way around, by the way. It's what they're talking about is the news feed in the upper right hand corner, the list of trending articles, which is a tiny piece. And I just don't think people go there. I just don't think, I mean, look, somebody will throw a stat out that'll prove me wrong on this, that, you know, it's the most or the second most clicked part of Facebook. But I I don't believe that my gut tells me it's not, it's not that people don't go to Facebook to go, I wonder what's trending today. Let me go look at the trending news. No, they go to see what their friends are saying about the news. I think this was and it's amazing how many sites, I mean, we were talking about the one from The Guardian, but how many sites talked about this is like, oh my gosh, Facebook has, you know, they're caught now. Uh-oh. Like, I think this is so non-news. The it's, only it's, thing that really bothered me about- There's not a story here. You want to know, this is, and, and in conclusion, here's the only thing that really bothered me about this whole article, is that in, uh, in Facebook's measure of important news websites, they listed Yahoo. That bothered me. <laughs> I'm really upset by this. How is this possible? Oh my god! That's and, awesome. and and so there were some other questionable ones in there. But how did Yahoo got on the list? That's I have fantastic. no idea. That's go. fantastic. All right. Well, um, well. Speaking of 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 news, I you know we we should get to our wonderful sponsor because they are often newsworthy. And did you see what I did there? See how I segued that, that? was into, that. Wonderful. Um, anyway, just a fantastic sponsor. We should talk about them. Actually, they were very newsworthy this week. Uh, so they were Mar- with their big Marketo. event. Yeah. I was at yeah, the Marketo Summit this week. I had the opportunity to speak there. They did a great job. Thanks to my the Marketo My invite got lost in the mail. I'm, I'm sure of it. I'm for, really for having me. It's real yeah. professionally done. And I have to tell you, I think you saw this on my Facebook feed. I'm assuming you did. But I celebrated my birthday at Marketo you Summit. Did. And I was you just did. a few feet away from... Uh, the Fresh Prince himself, Will Smith, and I got to see him get jiggy with it right next to nice. DJ Jazzy Jeff. So Very that, nice. that was super fun. And then just the side news, I wasn't planning on talking about this, but the side news is, is that Marketo did come out and confirm uh, talks that uh, they, are, they are possibly uh, taking offers from buyers. So yeah. I just thought that that was interesting. They've, they've hired, I think it's Morgan Stanley. I don't have the news in That's front right. of me. That's right. It is Morgan Stanley. Morgan yeah. Stanley. And they're, they're looking at, and so again, to you and I talked about the consolidation and the M&A in the industry. Here's another example of that. They may be the first unicorn. They actually may be the first unicorn in the marketing stack, the B2B marketing stack. They, they may go for more than a billion dollars. So it's, it's. Uh, but what about exact target? Didn't that go for two? Doesn't that count? Does that not count? Did it? I I don't know. I have no idea. We're going off script. I don't know. All right. See I have people. No idea. See people don't realize we do actually have scripts. <laughs> Maybe. Well, Maybe well, well, we have. All right. Have here words. we go. I'm not <laughs> sure I would elevate them to the quality of scripts. We have. All right. As we approach summer, uh, Marketo has blessed us with summer marketing 101. Robert, did you know that warm temperatures make buyers more receptive to brand and product communications? I've did you know that. this? You did I've last. I mean, you heard that last week, but I did. I didn't know this. This is according to the Journal of Consumer Psychology. Warm temperatures activate the concept of emotional warmth. Uh, 
This makes summer the perfect time for you to engage and nurture your buyers because they're more receptive to offers, content, and discounts. So download Marketo's new ebook, Summer Marketing 101, to learn how you can leverage what the wonderful summer season has to offer. Just go to cmi.media, cmi.media slash PNR131. That's cmi.media slash PNR131 to download Summer Marketing 101, or you can go to thisoldmarketing.com and just click on it yourself. So thanks again to our wonderful sponsor of PNR's This Old Marketing this week, Marketo. Thank you, Marketo, and congratulations you. on what I saw through Facebook and all my news feeds on LinkedIn, which was seemed like it was a an amazing event. So many of our friends and uh, colleagues were were there. It was nice. It was nice to see everybody sort of having a good time. It looked like it was a great event. They they know how to throw a party, and so yeah. do their their sponsors that are there. And it, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. All right, it is time for your favorite segment of the show, folks. It is time for our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like we have a negative image or one that makes us feel like the positive image is just glowing. So uh, let's see. I guess am I going first because I have this old marketing That is correct. Take it away. Again, I will talk about it. It's a rant. Um, It is only a slight rant, though. It is not like, you know, it might be, I guess, a slant. Um, you might call it. Um, it's so this the, the article that we will link to in the show notes, and this is fast, by the way. We'll, we'll move through this quickly. Is, is comes from CMO.com, and it is an interview with a number of publishers. Um, and the headline is the question that was asked, um, and it is CMO.com wants to know: Is sponsored content the antidote to ad blocking? And they interview, uh, I guess it's one, two, three, four, five different publishers, including Mark Miller, who's the executive VP of news and advertising at NBC Universal, and then VP of branded content at Gannett, um, then the CMO of Forbes Media, um, the SVP of Hearst Magazine. So, like, big, important people in the publishing industry. And I was all excited for this article. I saw it hit my inbox, and I was like, wow, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to read this thing. And I want to understand, what do they think? What do these really important people think about this wonderful thing about uh, how sponsored content is going to change or not the idea of ad-blocking users? And not one of them, sadly, answered the question at all. Um, it, it's it's just, uh, they, I don't know if they were all written by PR agencies or if it was just, you know, if it was just they didn't know or they just didn't feel like answering the question. But every single one of them had either a sort of company positioning statement about why their, why their platform was so awesome, um, and I'm sort of looking at you, Forbes Media, um, or, quite frankly, some PR political sort of statement that basically just were like, you know, a hundred words put together but didn't say anything. Ad blocking is very important. We'll need to really think about that in the future because ad products are still part of the advertising ecosystem. It's widely accepted that we're going to have to evolve. But having said that, no one denies that compelling premium content is the best way to engage. It's like, blah, 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 blah. Say something. Say something. I want to learn from you folks. Say something. Don't. This is an opportunity to say something, and it just wasn't. And anyway, so I don't want to go off on too much of a rant because, but it's just, it's, it's, there was just nothing there. I just read the entire article and went, what? 
The, the, thanks. Not for nothing. Anyway, that's my rant. This I week. think we'd all been better off if that article just didn't even exist. Yeah, right? it's just that you know, <laughs> it's like I like the part in in Major League where the the manager says I, they'd the the fans would be just happy if we all just went out and shot ourselves. It's <laughs> <laughs> about the same thing. All right, so my uh, I have a. A rave just because I love this concept. So I found this article on TechCrunch. We'll put it in the show notes. I found it super fascinating and not really content marketing, but definitely something marketers need to know about. The article covered a TechCrunch disrupt interview with a Kick CEO, Ted Livingston. And Kick is a messaging app with over 300 million users and believe it or not, reaches 40% of U.S. teens. Are it's you, amazing. Are you familiar it's with amazing. Kick? I, I am, yes. I And, and we, I hear, ironically enough, again, because of the Sundance thing, the 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 woman that I mentioned earlier that was the head of research in, in terms of the millennial stuff, she was telling me about Kick and how much it has penetrated the market and how big it is. And it's like, it's this biggest thing that nobody's talking about. Isn't that something? So anyways, I'm going to talk about one of the things where I think it's going to be an interesting opportunity. So, so there's a 20-minute interview to watch here. But the main idea covers bots. And I've heard the term bots before. And we've talked about bots when we talked about artificial intelligence on this show. But according to this article and according to uh, the CEO, Ted Livingston here, bots are like many programs built into chat services that can automate things like customer service, quizzes, etc. But Kik thinks they can do much more than that. Kik says, looking at chat chat bots bots as text-based Okay, let me say this again. So I'm <laughs> quoting here. Kick says looking at chatbots as text-based helpers is like looking at the possibilities of a browser in 1996, which I thought that was interesting. Wow, that's amazing. But let's let's back up for one second. Now, one interesting fact that I learned in this article is that two thirds of all smartphones, uh, smartphone users never install an app. Two thirds of smartphone users never install an app. That just blew blew me away. I'm like, oh my gosh. So as the CEO was talking about this, he said, basically, that means if you have an app for a particular customer base, you instantly lose 60% of the market because they're not going to download it. They don't. Uh, Mr. Livingston says that if you have to think to reach these people with, if you have to like download anything, install anything, no new, you know, no new interface to learn, we have to do something better because it's just too much for these people, which I didn't think downloading an app was that much but apparently it's a huge thing so that's, and that, that's an amazing isn't statistic. that something now that, that's where bots and chat come into play now from what i can gather the near future of bots is commerce and communications of all types so let's say for example that i want to order a pizza it will be as easy for this bot program in your iMessage or a chat messenger like kick to select a pepperoni pizza icon and have it delivered directly to you done like that a part of your chat which is interesting, right? Like we think about it now. Oh, we have to get the Pizza Hut app and we have to go and download this and then we set up our specs and whatever. He's basically saying in the near future, all you have to do is point, click in your chat or, or a voice activate it and it's going to be all in your chat or iMessage and it's going to happen automatically. That's amazing. Isn't that something? It's. Have you heard about the? Um, uh, I'm just starting to really get into this. There's a. There's an article that we're. Maybe I'll see if we can't find it for the show notes. But it's. It's. There, it's an article in uh, Harvard Business Review um, this month that talks about the blockchain. You know, sort of most commonly associated with Bitcoin, of course. But it's this whole article about how the blockchain is really going to enable so many other things. 
Um, and it's the applications are kind of just like what you exactly just said, which is it's this sort of artificial intelligence way of interacting with things where you can have embedded transactions in other transactions, right? So in the middle of a chat, you can sort of you you can buy you know, buy something and it just knows because it, you know, it's secure and it has all this information and can, you know, put it all together and say, great, based on his preferences that he stores over here, this is what he wants on his pizza and this is where he lives and this is his credit card and all that stuff is stored separately, but it's just chained. And I'm, I I know I'm botching it as I say it, but basically it's all stored and separately, but can be pulled together to provide for a meaningful transaction and they don't have to store any of that stuff so it's it's that's it's like that it's kind of cool but it's just it's so interesting that i mean i guess this kick already has over six thousand bots that are working and they've opened up the community of programmers so that all these programmers are going in there and they're creating these bots it's going to get i mean i didn't realize that it was this big of a thing this is going to happen pretty quickly and now you can see how like how does a chat when, when chat's free, how do they make money? Well, now they will. They'll yeah. be just like an Amazon.com. So here we go. Yeah, something to watch there for sure. Something absolutely to watch. Um, all right. Well, should we to the uh, this old marketing? Let's do it. Let's do it. You're all so, you're up, my friend. So let's look at um, and first of all, huge hat tip here to uh, our creative director Joe Kalinowski for sending this one over. This is a fun one, a short one, um, but a fun one nonetheless, um, and maybe some relevance to what's going on in the world today. Um, do you know um, who Shepard Ferry is? I, I do because uh, Mr. Kalinowski told because me. Because of the note. Okay, so, <laughs> I, and I knew of his work before. Um, and it was funny. I got in. So for those of you who don't know, Shepard Ferry is a, is a artist. Um, and I got introduced to him um, because I live here in Los Angeles. And the thing that sort of put him on the map was this sort of Andre the Giant poster. He was kind of like a Banksy sort of artist. He was going around and, and, and creating this while he was at the Rhode Island School of Design. And he basically cre- you know, basically took this image of Andre the Giant and, and created this thing called Andre the Giant Has a Posse. And then ultimately this thing that just said it had Andre the Giant and had the word obey on it. And you would see it everywhere. And it was like, what the heck is this? You would see it on light poles and you would see it on walls and, and doorways. And it was just everywhere it felt like. And it was just and it was this artist. It was this artist, um, Shepard Ferry, who was sort of doing this thing. And he was from the South. He grew up and sort of went to uh, sort of he, he went to Rhode Island School of Design and he became an artist. And sort of got a little bit of, of notoriety by creating this uh, Andre the Giant thing, and ultimately started to create this street art that sort of mixed up the very urban sort of feel and, and, and those sorts of things, and just created tons and tons of artwork. And ultimately, his sort of thing that he's most famous for, of course, is he created the Obama Hope poster. Um, and he, in so he's, but way before he sort of reached notoriety he was creating all this you know sort of free free stuff right just art and content and all this stuff that he was creating he started a clothing line and so he's got obey clothing now which is founded on his all of the art and ideals that he uh he brings out and there's a really interesting thing here because when he started creating all this stuff 
he when he when, basically it was you know whether it was you call it graffiti or you call it art or you call it all of the above he started um really handing out and 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 creating stickers and 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 t-shirts and that's when he started to form the the clothing brand and all that kind of stuff and there's a quote, and this is what the the article that we'll link to um, in the uh, in the show notes is an interview with him um, done in this um, uh, magazine called Relevant Magazine, and it was it's a few years ago. This this uh, article came out in two, 2010, and the quote that I love that he talks about here is he says, as he was creating all this content and then starting to earn money in different ways with the, you know he wasn't selling a lot of the content, he was giving out the content and actually making money in different in different ways based on the content, and as he said he said this is a quote now he says people were so used to being marketed to that when this thing showed up that didn't have a product behind it it kind of called for a whole new process um, into question he said at the same time every artist wants to make a living from their art so to me it was an extremely acceptable canvas it was logical to put my graphics that would start to resonate with people on t-shirts as well as posters etc so he started create just to your sort of content ink model he created content found the art found the audiences that wanted to consume that content and then ultimately started making products that the audience wanted and, and built this entire clothing line um around it and now he's got this thing that has been up and running, and this is what J.K. actually sent over, was this thing called Obey Magazine. And Obey Magazine sits right alongside their um, e-commerce and is integrated really, really well. So when you go to the magazine website, you can read these cool articles and see this really interesting photo- photography and art. And it's all sort of integrated into this stuff that they sell. So it's just this really cool content editorial experience that also integrates the ability to move the product. And, I, and it's been around, I guess, for now four or five years um, as a key piece of the way they're going to market. And I thought just a really cool, interesting way and a great this old marketing example. That's a fascinating story. So basically gave away free artwork and just created an enterprise uh, uh, you know, based around on, whatever resonated, oh, yeah, around what gosh. resonated. Yeah. That's that's fantastic, wonderful stuff. Yeah. So, uh, all right. So, what are you doing this week? This week, I actually leave tomorrow, and I'm headed to Denver, Colorado, um, and I will be doing a event with a lovely, lovely PR firm there called CSG, um, and I'm uh, doing a, I guess it's a breakfast, um, a luncheon, breakfast meal thing with them, um, where it's kind of a mini workshop sort of uh, event, which should be a lot, a lot of fun. Then I go off to uh, San Diego, or, now I won't do it, um, <laughs> the... the um, you know, the lovely San Diego where I'll be doing an event um, with the IEEE, um, the, the wonderful oh, organization wonderful. there and That's their magazine great. folks. Yes. Um, put doing my best Joe Polizzi to talk about how the publishing industry is actually oh, changing. It's gonna, I wish I could be there, unfortunately. Well, fortunately, <laughs> I'm going to be uh, flying out to Europe tomorrow. I'll be in Amsterdam for our content marketing fast forward. Our good friends, AJ Hoisman and uh, Bert Van Loon. So to, to support them, me. I will absolutely, and then I'm on to content marketing Norway. After that, so it'll be content marketing week in Northern Europe. I'm super, <laughs> super excited awesome. about I that. I love all these events that are popping up. It's all amazing. Over Europe. It, it yeah. is. A, look what you started. No, look what, look what you started. Oh no, no, no! Yeah. It's all you, my friend. It's all you. <laughs> all right. All right. That is it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose, and we are signing off for this week. And if you like this episode, number 131, 131 weeks into this, folks, 
It's about time you consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. And when you subscribe, if you subscribe, if you're not already subscribed, let us know. Let us know if you leave a rating or a review on iTunes. We always love those things. That helps us get us higher up in the little rankings there. But also, if you subscribe, let us know. We'd love to thank you personally for that across all the little social Tweety Media stuff. And you know what? If you want to give us a story idea, we'd love the story ideas. We absolutely adore the story ideas, the examples of this old marketing the wonderful story ideas. Hashtag us up at hashtag this old marketing on the Twitter. And if you've got a question or anything else, you just want to chat with us via email. You like that old tired medium called email. Well, we're at this old marketing at contentinstitute.com. All the links we talked about today will be available in the show notes that come out on Monday night. And of course, they'll be in the blog post that we publish on Saturday at thisoldmarketing.com. So until next week, everybody, remember, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing. Part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.